Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. We're back with our Venture Brothers podcast, the Venture Brothers podcast. Do you love the Venture Brothers cartoon, but are afraid of missing the myriad of historical references and layers of meaning behind each episode? Join pop culture and history experts, me, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn, and Stephen Adewell, whose secret identity is that he's an actual historian, for our podcast, examining each episode of Season 7 of the hit Adult Swim show. Today's episode is about Season 7, Episode 1, The Venture Brothers and the Curse of the Haunted Problem. Uh... (laughs) We usually describe the Venture Brothers show thusly. Uh, The Venture Brothers cartoon on Adult Swim references everything from Hanna-Barbera to Marvel, David Bowie to the Big Bopper, cult cinema to Scorsese, Oscar Wilde to Henry Kissinger. The show's central theme is failure. The reality of life and the promises and optimism of the 60s space age have faded, but ultimately, uh, but also the positive value of failure as a way to learn and grow of making unpleasant realities better and whether you can learn to keep the joyfulness of youth without its illusions. Uh, We podcasted season six, which you can listen to um, from the Graphic Policy website, from SoundCloud. Uh, There's a playlist of it, and you guys might want to catch up listening to that if you haven't given it a listen yet. Um, Our series six podcast of uh, Venture Brothers season six, sorry, uh, was actually one of the most popular things Graphic Policy has ever done on on the podcast. So I want to thank you guys for being our listeners and here's to having an even more successful season, uh, season seven. So uh, thanks for joining me, my co-host, Stephen Adewell. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, This was an interesting episode, uh, especially as sort of a season opener. It felt uh, uh, sort of a little bit thrown into the regular swing of a season. You know, last season didn't have a real ending in some ways. It had a crescendo episode at the end that was really a high note where a lot of things came together, but so many plot lines were left hanging that this does kind of feel like the continuation of the last season. Yeah. Um, it's been, I guess it's about, about been about two and a half years since we've lost Adventure Brothers. Good Lord. I know. I, I thought about doing a, a rewatch, but like I haven't had time to do that yet. Yeah. Um. I mean, what do you? How do you feel about the long wait between the uh, the seasons? I just want to talk about that. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, I I kind of want it to be done right. Um, it is kind of, on the other hand, like the fact that it is so long between seasons, and that apparently this season is going to be like five episodes. Oh. Um, that it. I think it does have kind of an effect on the storytelling. It's kind of. Um, uh, in this case, weirdly decompressed, whereas you'd normally expect it to be the opposite of trying to, like, tie up everything. Well, I mean, I guess there were two, like, two big things mm-hmm. uh, in this episode that were sort of, like, big tie-up stuff. Um, but it does mean, like, I think it affects the amount of time there's available for build-up and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think it definitely impacts how people relate to the show. Um, it feels like characters have been in a certain period of our lives even longer than they have been even more of a uh, moving extending timeline than I think we're used to from comics because it's literally the same week probably as it was uh, two and a half years ago right and you know I don't think it prevents me from enjoying the show in any way but it definitely is something that impacts how we read it yeah so um, overall I mean did you feel like this was a, a strong episode yeah, I mean, I liked it. You know, it, as I said, it was kind of unexpected. Um, sort of 
but like once I realized that it, like the direction it was going with the horror movie vibes, um, I started to get more into it. Um, mm-hmm. There was some sort of, uh, you know, a pretty good. Uh, you know what I always like is like character interactions and yep. riffs, um, and then some really interesting uh, character work on Hank's part. Uh, Dean didn't get quite as much to do. Uh, but I did like um, uh, the mansplaining, science splaining thing. Although we'll get to that later. I mean, I I definitely think that this was a you know I I don't know if there's really been a bad episode of the show. I think this was a good episode, but not a great one. But I mm-hmm. suspect that it'll feel differently when the arc wraps up. I mean, this is supposed to be part one of a three episode arc, presumably dealing with. Uh, well, we're just going to say spoilers from here on out, guys, right? Okay. Yeah. Spoilers. And uh, so, you know, with the return of Jonas Venture Sr.'s body and what that means and the, the <laughs> problem. of it? The problem is his body. The problem is the legacy of Jonas Venture Sr. So I, I think I'll, I, I bet you I'll like this episode more at the end of the, of the next couple episodes <laughs> once I've seen it all. Um because uh, I, I guess just for me, I, I'm always a sucker for when the show goes into references that I have particularly strong emotional attachments to. And while there were lots of references here, it wasn't quite as much of my obsessive bailiwick as something like maybe uh, maybe no go was from the last season or the Warhol meets the the uh, the Warhol meets the Legion of Doom episode, which were basic, both basically written for me personally, <laughs> as is clear to anyone. Um, but it's definitely, it was fun and good to see the Order of the Triad back again. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's kind of go through this from the, the, and I also just want to shout out that the detailed richness of the animation and quality itself is just really unsurpassed by anything I see on TV. Uh, yeah, so we open with um, an extended Exorcist 2 riff. It took me uh, a little bit to figure out what was going on here exactly. I was like, is this Indiana Jones? Like, what kind of vaguely Orientalist uh, genre are we working with here? But the moment I saw the statue of uh, Pazuzu, Mm -hmm. uh, the demon of flies, um, I was like, okay, I I know what we're going for. Yeah, I I haven't seen The Exorcist 2, but... uh, No one needs to. I was very well. Yeah, my, like my husband was right there and like looked at me and said, "That's from The Exorcist 2. I was like, "Oh, okay." You know, my reference for Pazuzu is it's the name of the gargoyle that um, the professor had on Futurama. So it's kind of a different frame of reference there. Um, I I was really struck watching the intro. You know, it's it's also it's uh, anything that's a flashback in the show is particularly inclined to being a style parody of Johnny Quest TV show. And I was particularly struck with this one at how super racist it feels. I mean, it is a it is a parody of a racist show. It's poking fun of it. But in this particular moment, it felt actually also racist. Like the way the show has often undermined racism in those ways is by showing how wrong it is, showing that these characters who are treated as um, being less than the white characters are actually smarter than them or have their own stories and thoughts happening. And in this case, it didn't really have that. It just had, you know, a brown character in a turban speaking what I don't actually think is a language. Yeah, no, it sounded like just nonsense. You know, and I'm fine with, 
I mean, easy for me to say this. I'm, I'm like a white person. You know, I'm fine with the show having riffs off that, but you have to undermine those archetypes and ste- you have to undermine those stereotypes if you're going to be playing in that field. And they, they didn't do that here. They really didn't. So I thought that was kind of shitty. Moving along. <laughs> um, so I, I was I was thinking when we see Jonas Jr. in there look, discovering the problem part of Gargantua 1, I, that, you know, they're talking about the radiation levels. This is how Jonas Jr. gets cancer. Yeah, that, uh, that kind of fits with the whole theme of, like, the poisoned legacy of, of the Venture family that, you know... He, Jonas Jr. was all about like paying tribute and homage to and like trying to uh, emulate uh, his uh, father and it's like all of that went horribly wrong right you know Gargantua 2 had to be jettisoned into space <laughs> um, you know and now like Gargantua 1 is just literally poisonous um, I did, I was really surprised by the Da Vinci Code reference. Um, mm. that was, uh, unexpected, but kind of fits the, like, overall can, vibe. Can you explain the Da Vinci oh, Code Oh, Robert reference? Langdon is the, like, um, author stand-in for all of the Da Vinci Code novels. The fake, quote-unquote, symbologist. It's not a real discipline. What, uh... uh from Harvard that Tom Hanks plays in all the movies. Okay, but what what was he in this? Like, who was... Is he character? was just mentioned. He was like, you know, my God, Robert Langdon, you know. Or, I, I forget what the line was exactly, but it was like something along the lines of, you know, you don't need to be Robert Langdon to know what this means, or something like that. Gotcha. Okay, thanks. Um, and especially in this case, because it's like such a super obvious, it's like, oh, right, that's this spaceship, and this was the machine that was on this spaceship. Yeah, Gargantua 1 was the spaceship uh, that careers in science took place in. Yeah, which was like, what, the second ever episode? Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a really deep cut. And it's one of the most popular ones. It's the one with Phantom Spaceman. Yeah. Um, it really was the episode that established the characters in a lot of ways. So um, I I was just struck so much in a number of ways throughout this episode. Uh, obviously... You know, we've always known that the problem, the red problem, light dome, and all that is looks like Hal from 2001 Space yeah. Oddity. But there actually were other references to that as well, which I'll get into later. And I love that it's called the problem because, again, the problem is the legacy of his father. So even if, even if we didn't find out the revelation that we see later this episode, it still works as a name, right? Yeah, and it it the interesting thing about this episode is it really makes you think about the previous episode that you know because one of the things that happens in that episode is um rusty has this conversation slash hallucination with the ghost of his father and like in the wake of this episode i like i'm now rethinking that conversation and like what did it mean and like did it happen you know this is a show where 
I think that we have um, that there's going to be a mix of things that were always intended from the start and things that they worked out later. They they said the creators said that they rewatched the whole series before working on this one. Ah, I think what you're pointing to may have. I think this, these revelations in terms of his relationship with his father might actually be stuff that was planned from the very beginning. But there's going to be there's other things that that I don't think were because I don't know that they expected to have this many seasons of the show made, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really loved this callback. Uh, and I love when they talk about as men of science, we clearly don't believe in ghosts is such a, in the spirit of, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the scientists characters that they're riffing off of from other places of pop culture. Yeah. And it's especially weird in this context because like Rusty has seen go like it, it, his, his whole sort of like uber atheist, uh, man of science uh, thing which uh, harkens back to um, oh what was the episode where he gets into the duel with uh, Dr. Orpheus I, I don't remember the name but I remember it yeah yeah it reminds me a little bit of that episode just because like you know at this point he really should know better um, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah so they install the machine in their uh, in their house and uh, immediately starts uh, fucking with them. Rusty can't fix his alarm clock. Um, and all of a sudden there is... What's the song that's playing? Street Life. Okay. Street uh, Life. Yeah, that was... The, sh- the show actually says that it's from uh, Sharky's Machine, which yeah. is a movie that they'd made jokes about earlier. In fact, in... Uh, careers in science that uh, Sharky's machine was the movie that Phantom Spaceman uh, lured all of the astronauts on Gargantua 1 to their deaths with. Holy cow! Well, Street Life is a song by the Crusaders. It's very catchy. Uh, You definitely have heard it before. Yeah. Like, listen to it after this and you're going to say, oh, that song. Yeah, so in terms of, like, the horror movie stuff, um, uh, Dean gets, uh, I, I, I did not catch this initially, but, uh, he gets problem written, uh, backwards on, yes. his, on his stomach. Which is Exorcist, but the fact that it was written backwards is, like, red rum from yeah. The Shining, right? So they're going all over the place. Uh, Helper is full of rats. <laughs> That was a gorgeous, scary, gross visual. Yeah, that that felt very the sort of like epic green vomit from uh, the Exorcist, sort of taken to the next level. Um, and yeah, you're you're right in these notes. Uh, I I read a review that that uh, pointed me in the wrong direction as to how Hank is reacting to all of this. Yeah, yeah. So um, we from this from from helper vomiting rats, we cut to a scene of Hank. Uh, in his girlfriend Serena's uh, room, sneaking around, and um, they Hank, you know, Hank is someone who has experienced some very bizarre sexual trauma that they also <laughs> have tried to wipe from his mind yes. in ways that I think were actually worse than leaving it be alone, frankly. Um, and uh, you know, I, trying to like understand and parse out what that would mean for his response to being in a sexual situation with someone who he does have feelings for is hard to say, but it seems pretty clear to me as I watched it that he basically uh, came when she tried to take his shirt off. And that's, that's extreme. 
um, and uh, might explain why she uh, had to uh, change her shirt. So there you go. Um, I really appreciate him saying he was trying to think of zombies from the living dead in order to hold off a little bit. <laughs> and then uh, he thought of Michonne and that counteracted it. So I appreciate Hank being a Michonne fanboy because I think he would find a, a strong woman like her attractive and that that's the proper analysis. Yeah. To have. And I have to say, I like Serena is definitely one of my favorite characters added uh, from season six, that there's something about the way that her accent plays off against all of the other characters around there. Uh, you know, especially like her, her pervy bodyguard, her dad. Uh, it just, it works so well. Yeah, she does. I, I went, I forgot who the voice actress is, but it, it, it's great. And, I, and she really is a fun addition to the, to the cast. Uh, so then everyone's sort of uh, discussing what's going on. Uh, Rusty is is continuing to disbelieve everything. He's got that great line about uh, being haunted by Clippy. <laughs> yeah, just for, for folks who are too young to know. So when Hank, when, when they're saying, well, you saw a vision of your brother, that's how you know that you're being haunted. Hank, uh, Rusty points out that he just saw a projection from the alarm clock and of seeing unwanted animated images means you're haunted then he's being haunted by clippy the paperclip so clippy the paperclip is an animated paperclip that used to pop up in word whenever you tried to do anything it was super annoying uh, word is a word processor piece of software kids yeah i was gonna say when was clippy uh so clippy was introduced in Windows 97. So, uh, yes. And was phased out in 2003, 2004 because everyone hated him. Got it. Well, that's totally my era. So, <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. I-, I also appreciate that Hank clearly watches Scooby Doo. Well, Hank lives Scooby Doo. Like, Hank I mean, is Scooby Doo, but that doesn't mean that he watches Scooby Doo, right? Sometimes, like, if something's a pastiche of it, it doesn't actually exist in that world. Yeah, but I just meant in the sense that, like, you know, him defaulting to old lighthouse keeper in a rubber mask yet, like, that's probably because he's dealt with lighthouse keepers in <laughs> rubber masks. Oh, I see what you're saying. So he doesn't watch Scooby-Doo necessarily. He just actually lives Scooby-Doo. That's yeah, true. I mean, they, they, they like Scooby-Doo episode they dealt season with, one or uh, something. You know, the pirate captain in the Sargasso Sea. Uh, they dealt with the Manson family uh, as, as the groovy gang. Like, he's been through some shit. He knows when to look for the rubber mask. So let's talk about hackers. Okay. Yes. Okay. So hackers was um, a uh, hacking movie from the 90s back when people really didn't understand what hacking was. Um, somehow they thought it involved roller skates. Um it, but it gave us some really great cheesy lines, hack the planet. Uh, you know, any anytime anyone references like jacking into a node to destroy the host or any nonsense among of that variety, they're usually quoting hackers. Uh, it was very early Angelina Jolie film, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the. the, the Movies still don't seem to understand what hackers do. Well, the, I mean, as, as 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 uh, 
Billy and, and Pete talk about later. There's like an inherent reason for that. But yep. I do like that that's like the two the binary for this episode is like are they being haunted or are they being hacked? Um So uh Hank gets fired by Serena's bodyguard or rather Hank is fired from his pizzeria job because the pizzeria is owned by the mafia that's run by Wide Whale, the the dad of Serena. Right. Uh, which gives us uh, an opportunity for some really good Godfather 2 riffs. I mean, they literally play the theme song, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what else from Godfather 2 is in here? So, so the, the, the sort of like side-scrolling shot where Hank is walking down the street and his boss comes out to like give him a pizza is pretty much like a one-for-one of a similar side-scrolling shot where after um, uh, Robert De Niro gets fired, uh, his boss comes with a a box of uh, groceries. Oh, wow. That is quite it. So, yeah. um, Although, uh, as far as I can tell, The Godfather 2... Uh, scene did not end with the the uh, vandalization of his uh, of his. I guess it would be a car his hover. It's like a hover wheel bar. You know what? It yeah. looks like the little hover wheelie things from Men in Black Two. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's what Hank's been driving. Yeah. I don't know what happened to Dean's one. Um, I don't know. But uh, Hank's been making use of it as a delivery boy. I also, just pointing to some more backgrounds, the interior of the pizzeria is just completely correct. Like, I have been in that restaurant in Little (laughs) Italy. It exists. Hopefully hopefully not with with very beefy guys dressed up in prawn costumes. I mean, probably. Acting menacingly. Yeah, that sounds sounds about right. Had those paintings, too. Yes. Um, So, Dean actually... Dean, uh, Dean actually is the one who calls on the order of the triad. Yes, uh, this is where like he just gets sort of fed up with his dad's um, denial. Yeah, and just sort of like selfish um, assholishness in general. Um, you had caught the license plate. I completely yes. missed this. The license plate says BLD VSSL, which is blood vessel. Which yeah. it's Jefferson's car, so. Um, Twilight. And I did love the whole thing of uh, Dr. Orpheus has astrally projected ahead because they were stuck in traffic on the FDR drive. <laughs> so the other two members of the Order of the Triad have to haul his <laughs> like stony form around until they get to like the actual, you know, the, the bodies link up again. Except they're clearly more interested in, in the like rooftop pool than actually dealing with uh, demonic uh, possession. Hey, it's heated. Yeah. Um, I did love, like, Serena goes off on, on Wide Whale for interfering with uh, her relationship uh, and then does get to, like, the inherent logical flaw in all of those, like, hyper-protective, patriarchal nonsense ideas, which is like, if you're not allowed to date anyone, you know, because they're not family, are you then supposed to date your family? And as she put it, you know, pump out some flipper babies uh, with her cousin with a lazy eye. You know, there's 
House Lannister is not a mod- model to follow. <laughs> Serena really is sort of like a normal person who's stuck in a Venture Brothers reality. Well, I mean, she's a normal person for, like, a mobster princess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, she definitely knows what kind of family she's in and has no... Pr- she can breathe underwater, right? Oh, I think that's, she can. That's her yeah, thing. she can. Yeah. yeah, so she's got, like, some superpowers. It's just not super... Um, kind of hardcore so you had a note here about uh brock who decides to move uh into a tent in the uh on (laughs) on the roof because he's sick and tired of dealing with uh possession yeah yeah so i i think this was his outfit last season too and i just didn't put two and two together um because i just his outfit, his 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 hoodie and and shorts and sweatpants, that's Rocky Balboa's outfit in in Rocky. Like that is actually what yeah. Rocky wears with that little knit helmet. I think it's because I saw Rocky being used in the clip that Netroots Nation used to promote the fact that our conference is going to be in Philadelphia next year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's Rocky's outfit, which is a great fit for Brock Sampson, obviously. Gotcha. Uh, and this is where we get science splaining versus mansplaining, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, you know, kind of works because usually it's, I mean, if someone is science splaining, it's usually a man doing it. So. Sad to say. Yeah. Um... And this is where we get into uh, one of my favorite parts of the episode, which is uh, Billy and Pete riffing on hacker movies and the fact that, you know, hacking is just not a cinematic activity. It's typing. Um, I, yeah. I, I also love that the show sort of pointed out that not all scientists are the same. It's in comics in particular you have these scientist characters who are experts in literally every discipline and that's not how it works. So I appreciated the show emphasizing that Pete's the hacker and Billy is a a neurogeneticist and that these are not the same thing. Yes, although Billy is also a medical doctor. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say. I mean, although that's, you know, that's linked to neurogenetics. Yeah. It's not quite as random as Pete being a surgeon or something like that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, he does the medical stuff. Pete, you know, is is functional with computers. Um, So, uh, right. So this is uh, Hank's plan A, which is uh, to just go in there and try to see if he can uh, start his relationship up again. Hank's relationship with Serena. It's, it's yeah. just the charm offensive. He's, he's going to bring her a pizza that's shaped like a heart. Yeah. Uh, just sort of act like nothing has changed. And I appreciate the specific threat from the whale lice, chief whale lice bodyguard, who say they're going to, like, zap him in the brujol. For those who are not initiated in the ways of Italian food, a brujol is a pound, is a, is a beef cutlet, sometimes pork, pounded very thin, and it's uh, wrapped around, like, some herbs and cheese and then cooked together. It's really fabulous. I, I, I get one for uh, for Christmas with the in-laws. So um, that's what a Brajol is. We're here to help. Gotcha. So I imagine getting hit in a Brajol would not be great. No. Um, so then we go to the Ritual of Revelation, uh, which just sort of brings up every ghost that has any reason to hate the Venture Brothers or the Venture family, as it mm-hmm. were, uh, which is a bit of a problem because... They've sort of hit a target-rich environment. Um, 
going back to the sort of the orientalist, you know, man of science thing from before, like, the Venture family does nothing but sort of abuse non-white people and uh, working class people, as it turns out. So you get a whole bunch of different groups of people who want their artifacts back, um, except now they don't know which they are. I, 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 this is, I believe, the first episode of the show that's come out since the Doctor Strange movie was released. And when the Venture Brothers, you know, began having a Doctor Strange-based character, they, they played off the fact that people didn't really know who the heck Doctor Strange was. You know, like, oh, it's a Dracula. Um, but right. now everyone knows who Doctor Strange is. So I'm wondering if, if, if that's going to impact how people react to Doctor Orpheus as a character. Uh, the fans, rather, not people within the show. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I think we'll know something is up if there is various, um, uh, you know, if his cloak starts moving on its own, <laughs> uh, if there's any reference to him being British, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so you, you identified one of the historic sources of ghosts. Oh, yes. So the Venture Millinery Factory Fire... Uh, is a reference to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, um, in that they are both—they were both caused ultimately by the greed um, of of the owner operator of the factory. In, in this case, a uh, a millinery is, I believe, a maker of hats. Yeah, a ma- maker of hats, and that's why they said d- a dumpster full of felt scraps was hit right. by a zeppelin, because you can't possibly get more period than that. Yeah, um, and especially, you know, like, felt goes up just, you know, instantly. instantly. I mean, it's just a fire trap. Um, Especially because uh, in that time period especially, they probably were treating it with mercury. So, not just a fire, but like a toxic fire. Um, Well, just, I think folks might not know the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, so do you want to get the one? Oh, yes. The one line? So, uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory uh, was fire was probably the most famous industrial accident in American history. In 1911, um, there was a uh, fire in which basically the um, the workers couldn't uh, escape because the uh, stairwells and exits were locked and the fire department ladders couldn't get up enough stories and 123 women and uh, 23 men died from a combination of fire, smoke, inhalation, or basically jumping to their deaths. Um, and it was a sort of a media sensation because, I mean, it literally happened, like, uh, blocks away from where the New York uh, newspaper district is. Um, you know, they were low-paid workers, um, you know, and, you know, who, who would just died horribly and it led to um you know because uh you had um you know women like Frances Perkins who were you know almost on immediately on the scene uh it led to a raft of uh factory legislation uh eventually sort of culminating uh in in the New Deal's labor legislation so. yeah it's really the birth of fire safety laws, workplace safety laws, and was really central to the, f- to the expansion of the uh, garment workers union, yeah. my old employer. Um, so, yep. And I just, that's, a, it's so real that the family that has, 
benefited so much from being such these like science innovators actually got the start of its capital off the backs of literally killing workers yeah yeah that that works perfectly uh that was sort of my favorite detail from the episode so we then go to hank's plan b which is to bring back enrico matassa uh which is one of my favorite of hank's um uh personas this was from the episode uh mama's boys uh, and I don't even remember that one. This is, um, so this is, it was an episode about, uh, Hank's band. Oh. And it's where, um, uh, Hank, uh, what's his name? Dermot, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Henchman 21 decide to start up, like, they, they basically decide to rob banks, um, and in order to get themselves, uh, sent to an insane asylum... Uh, for complicated reasons. Uh, anyway, but Enrico Matassa is Hank's Latin lover villain archetype who, like, hits people with t-shirts, <laughs> I guess. Um, and it's, it's like, really dumb because it's him in a fake mustache, but, like, his hair is still blonde. Um, and he doesn't speak Italian, so it's just ridiculous and it's especially ridiculous because matassa means hank like as in a hank of of hair or wool or something like that um so it's just like the dumbest fake name fake persona and it works like that's that's the most hilarious bit is he actually succeeds in breaking into wide whales compound and like you know, he probably could have killed White Whale if he'd intended to. Right, which he didn't. He doesn't want to kill her dad because that would be messed up. Also, he's yeah. not a killer. Uh, also, I think Enrique Enrico is also Hank. So it's Hank Hank. I think it's Hank Hank, yes. Oh my god, Hank, you... <laughs> <laughs> I want to just go back real quick um, because you pointed out some stuff from when they, the show did a brief cutaway. Oh yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so because, uh, Billy is, uh, not a computer guy, he goes, uh, to his mom's place, uh, and it turns out that, um, the, his mom, Action Man, and Colonel Gentleman are swingers, which is gross, and that, uh, Horace Gentleman's dog is a racist, which, of course it is uh because he is yes exactly that because sean connery is not exactly the world's most enlightened man no there really have been studies like dogs behaviors reflect what who their owner the, the, the physical body language of their owners so like i don't know if you have a rescue dog and it lived eight years of its life with someone who's racist and your dog is still racist that's probably not your fault but if you've raised your dog from pup from puppyhood and it's racist it's because you're racist it's following your body language right um so the former uh team venture associates instantly the moment he mentions sharky's machine know what the deal is and um uh, trank dart his mom, which is kind of a dick move. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there. I guess they didn't want her to be involved. Yeah, it's probably some sort of, like, you know, vow of secrecy or whatever. I mean, it, it, they still shouldn't do that. I, <laughs> yeah. I I also just feel like, for the sake of our listeners, I would want to say that the, the uh, your mom being a swinger in your house in which you're trying to come home to 
is a legitimate complaint, but I don't want people to think that the show necessarily itself has an attitude on people's personal lives and sexual choices. But like, put a yeah, stock I on, think it's put, it's, put a it's, stock on the door, maybe. Yeah, I think it's more just the issue of clearly they're using the living room. Yeah, and not, not appropriate. And not, you know, using any sort of scheduling. Do you think that they're living in Long Island? I'm just trying. Have we we've established that he lives near the uh, Red Death, and the Red Death is on Long Island, or am I just making assumptions? We know the Red Death is on Long Island. I think that that Billy's family is on Long Island uh, too. Let me see. Billy Quizboy and his mom is. What about his mom? Um, well, we can come back to that, but yeah, that's. I that's, don't think it's ever established. It's okay. just we know that like she's also an ex superhero, so. She was the what was her name? The triple threat? That can't be it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. It's like a Broadway themed. Yeah, yeah. She was the. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because she was a dancer. Okay. A, tr- a triple threat is someone who could act, sing, and dance. Gotcha. Um, and do it backwards in heels. Yes. Um, so we go from there to the big revelation of the episode, which is that. Do you want to do this one? The Jonas Venture is inside the problem machine because Jonas Venture is the problem, or at least his head is. His head and is then con- and a few of his key blood vessels are like wired into this machine. It's a very very Jack Kirby looking machine, and particularly reminds me of the art that Jack Kirby did when he did a series of comics that were about the film Two Thousand and One: A Space Odyssey. Um, one of the issues is basically shot for shot the movie but then subsequent episodes really take it forward and i feel like he looks a lot like machine man is drawn there by jack kirby yeah and um definitely seems like the machine has not quite been working no in that it was supposed to bring him back to from death basically which how appropriate is that that like one of his last functioning machines is all about you know preserving life long beyond where you should because, uh, like, you know, he's got what looks like a rudimentary nervous system and uh, blood vessels, but, like, clearly the bringing the body back is, has not functioned. So we haven't seen the problem machine since Gargantua 1. No. Okay, that, okay, gotcha. One thing that really struck me was... Um, when the action man finally comes and identifies what it is to everyone, he says that it was made in case of his death. And there literally is like a pause in how he's delivering yeah. that line. It was an interesting emphasis. It makes me wonder about. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Fen, like there was the whole business. Um, I, I don't remember whether it was last season or the season before about, um, um, Dr. Ventures or Dr. Venture seniors, like, interest in cloning technology and, like, cyborgs. Because there's the whole, like, story that's still speculation about, like, what happened to um, uh, the monarch's dad. Mm-hmm. And, like, is it possible that he is uh, Venturetron? Yeah, yeah. Which I think is probably true, but not something I'm completely set on. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, I just really love how clear it is that like problem is the physical manifestation of the problem of the legacy of the Venture family's relationship to science and parenting. It's just such a perfect thing. Really, really damn yeah, smart. That they, they can't let the past go. Um, I, I, uh, 
also um, when um, Dr. Orpheus shouts, it is the devil's concubine. I went to Google it because I was like, this has got to be a reference. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's a book series. Oh, yeah. It's used a lot, though. Um, I think especially it just it's funny because it's like helper is the devil's concubine. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the the two halves don't mesh very well. Um, In the other like. Oh, and we should say, like, the, the thing that kind of did surprise me, and this is what I kind of mean by, like, the, the like, foreshortening that we're getting a little bit, is when Pete all of a sudden takes an axe to Jonas Venture, I was like, holy shit, that's a really big deal for the show. Mm-hmm. Like, Jonas Venture, I mean, literally has been, like, the presence looming over the show from the, you know, careers of science onwards, and, like, now all of a sudden he's gone, and... It wasn't even anything that had to... Like, Rusty barely did anything this episode. Yeah. You know, the the actual Venture Brothers barely did anything this episode. Uh, and, you know, I mean, good for Pete for, you know, um, for lateral thinking. But, <laughs> um, you know, that really did kind of surprise me. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that the it's actually not dead, and now it's just going to malfunction even further. But... <laughs> Yeah, because nothing ever dies. <laughs> nothing ever dies. That's so true. Um, and then the other thing that really surprised me in this episode is that, um, you know, when the wide whale gets taken in by Hank's dumb, dumb disguise, um, his, like, initiation ceremony is that he wants Hank to kill the Blue Morpho, uh, who he has captured, which is, like, that's a... Again, another big surprise, right? Yeah. The whole last season was all about, like, the mystery of the Blue Morpho. And all of a sudden it seems like, you know, wrapped up rather, uh, you know, suddenly. Yeah, these were two really shocking reveals in the series. Really, two shocking reveals in the series. So, um, I also just want to, for anybody who's a new listener and maybe didn't listen last season which uh, of our podcast, just to make sure folks don't miss it, um, that Wide Whale is a reference to Kingpin from Spider-Man and Daredevil comics. Like, the, the suit is is literally Kingpin's suit. And he certainly has his physique, except he's whalier. And then yes, this was also... And a blowhole. And a blow, yeah, and a blowhole, and he's gray. Um, I also... Uh, that the Venture Brothers HQ in New York is the Baxter building from Fantastic Four, which yes. is great, because they've always been playing around with the color of the Fantastic Four blue. Um yeah, but, and the yeah. whole super science and the, you know, guy with the pipe is an asshole. Mm-hmm. There's actually two different guys with pipes who are assholes, come to think I of it. I think you should just assume that any guy with a pipe is an asshole. Uh, no offense to actual people with pipes. <laughs> huh. uh, I really love the Uber driver. Like, when, the, when, when, when it pulls back and you see the car, like, wheeling backwards out of the lobby. Oh, um, yeah. That was so wonder- That was so real. You, you know, even the Uber driver has his limits. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully uh, with the the pending regulatory decision by the New York Taxi and Livery Commission, you know, his time will be a little bit more valuable to him. And he won't have to take these kind of fares that could end in his horrible, horrible death. Could not have said it better myself. Um, so with that, I believe those are all of our notes we had for this episode. Yep. So thank you all for joining us. We're going to be back next week um, to go over the next episode. We'll be doing one podcast episode per episode of the show. Uh, you can find us online. I'm on Twitter. 
all the goddamn time at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Ilana underscore Brooklyn. It's a great place to find me. And, of course, the show exists on graphicpolicy.com, uh, our website. Um, it'll be loaded up there. And it, we're also throwing it up on our iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher eventually. And where can we find you, Stephen? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Atwell. Or you can find me uh, on WordPress or Tumblr at Race for the Iron Throne. Excellent, excellent. Well, do you guys have any thoughts? Share them with us. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great week and keep it geeky. Go Team Venture! Go Team Venture!